0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, America. It's Eric Erickson here. I hope you're doing well. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the phones, y'all, I I got a story uh, that, ah, it's just, I'm I'm actually really genuinely proud of my local newspaper for doing this, considering they kind of elevated this person. So let, let me explain. It is increasingly obvious from TikTok and other outlets that there are a large number of progressive teachers in our elementary and secondary schools who view part of their job as uh, the pushing the great Awakening and in indoctrinating students into left-wing ideology and left-wing causes. And there are a... a number of teachers who do the all shucks innocence routine who are not so innocent. We've seen this in Florida with the the parental rights and education bill that the left uh, called the the don't say gay law, overwhelmingly backed by parents, including Democratic parents in the state, 60% voter support, and all it said is you're not going to teach about sexuality and gender in elementary school and parents like that. But the left hated it, and you saw a number of teachers uh, do things to get themselves fired, and the media has made them celebrities for their activism. They're not educating kids. They're being activists. A story broke out in the metro Atlanta suburb of Cobb County A teacher is facing termination. She read a book to her class called My Shadow is Purple, uh, and she says it's a book about inclusion. This is how the story was originally framed in the local newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a Cobb County teacher may be the first casualty of laws passed last year amid a conservative backlash against woke classrooms. Katie Rinderley, who taught gifted students at Due West Elementary School, was placed on administrative lead after she read her fifth graders a book of rhymes with a message that challenges gender norms. She made the book part of a lesson about diversity, inclusion, acceptance, understanding, and all the positive things that we want to have out of our public school students, says her lawyer. The lawyer says a student told a parent who complained to school administrators, Rinderly was summoned by the principal and placed on paid leave before the school year ended. A termination tribunal is scheduled for August 3rd. The lawyer says his client was told she violated Georgia's divisive concepts law passed in 2022. It focuses mainly on classroom discussion about race, but includes a passage about uh, transgender athletes. Now, this is whipped people into a frenzy. This has made the national news headlines. This is not just a Georgia story. It's made the national news. It's been covered by national press outlets that here's another one of these teachers who happened to read a book that was about inclusivity. And because it was about inclusivity, it was interpreted as being woke, and she's being fired. I, I I saw local reporters going on tirades about it on social media. How dare they fire this woman? All she was doing was teaching inclusivity. We're now promoting intolerance. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit shocked that it's the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that has put this forward. But they've obtained the open open records. And it's a little bit more than a teacher talking about inclusivity. Complaints from March obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution via an open records request said the students felt uncomfortable when sitting through the story. The story is about a child whose shadow is not blue or pink. The shadow is purple. The teacher had students use they, them pronouns when referring to the main character of the book, the school district investigators found. This is unacceptable, one parent wrote in an email. After much consideration and back and forth with other concerned parents, the other, one of the other parents and I decided that we would not sit idly by as this garbage agenda is being pushed on our children. We're disgusted. The investigators interviewed the teacher and the students. Now, here's the interesting thing. Those of you who were outraged about this teacher being disciplined, listen to this. According to the students, they were supposed to be learning math. The teacher denies it, but the students say this was during math class that she decided to read the book on transgenderism. She also refuses to admit the books about gender identity claiming it's actually about inclusivity. The book is called My Shadow is Purple. It shows the cover of the of the book shows a boy. He's in a t-shirt and jeans and his shadow is purple and wearing a frilly dress. It's described as a heartwarming and inspiring book about being true to yourself and moving beyond the gender binary. That's right. That's how it's described. Moving beyond the gender binary. What you should know is that though the book itself is described as uh, teaching kids to move beyond the gender binary, the teacher refuses to admit it and says it's just about inclusivity. That's how the teacher views the book. Never mind how the book views itself. Never mind the cover of the book showing a boy in boy's clothes whose shadow is in girl's clothes and is purple. Never mind that the students said she made them use they them pronouns and that she did this during math class she denies every she flat out denies everything the students apparently are lying we never had a discussion about gender identity she said this was about embracing each other students reflecting on valuing their differences letting them be unique and having multiple interests that's the basis of it she says the book didn't violate the rules because it didn't generate dis- it didn't discuss race or divisive concepts That's right. She says this wasn't a divisive concept. Oh, but wait. There's more. There's more. In 2022, that would be last year, parents complained after the same teacher read students a book written by then-Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams she tagged Abrams on Instagram and posted that she was reading the book to her class. One parent said, I take issue with reading a book written by a candidate running for political office who's also very divisive. It doesn't appear that books are being selected from authors with differing political views. Again, the classroom's not a place for this. Rinderly's principal addressed the concerns with her at the time and cautioned her against using supplementary material or teaching lessons that could appear to be political or controversial, according to her file. In an interview with district investigators, the school's principal explained that the book itself was about a spelling bee and did not include any political content, but because the author could be seen as controversial. The author, Stacey Abrams, was literally running for governor of the state of Georgia as a Democrat. And she just felt compelled to. She, of all the books on planet Earth to read, she just happened to read Stacey Abrams' book while Stacey Abrams was on the ballot running for governor and now reads a book that is about moving beyond the gender binary and insists it's not a book about that, despite the book's own description. Wow. Wow. What I find notable are a couple of things here. One, this became a national media story when it first came out. This was all over the news nationally that this teacher was being fired for reading a book or possibly going to be fired for reading a book about inclusion. They didn't want to, you know, the book Queer." the book "Gender Queer" is a book of explicitly drawn pictures of boys having sex, explicitly drawn. Pictures of sex acts in the book and progressives have been putting these in elementary school libraries around the country. And when conservatives have discovered them and parents have gotten concerned, forget their politics, parents are concerned that these books showing explicit sex acts are in elementary school libraries. The press says, well, they're banning books. They're banning books. They're, they're, they're trying to get the books out of the library. They hate the books. It's not about the book. It's about pornography in an elementary school library. And none of the people who defend the book will tell you what's in the book. The same thing happening here. She insists the book is just about inclusivity. The book itself is described on the Goodreads site as a book about moving beyond the gender binary. Now this is is what, she said, this is the original story from the Southern Poverty Law Center about this. The teacher purchased the book at the Scholastic Book Fair. Before she read it, the students voted on a variety of books she offered and they, the students, overwhelmingly chose My Shadow is Purple which was nominated for a 2023 Australian Book Industry Award. After the reading, the class discussed the book's message of acceptance of oneself and others and embracing diverse and complex identities and experiences. The students reflected upon how they, as academic achievers, are often perceived as different from their peers. They discussed the importance of recognizing and accepting people as individuals, and they expressed how supporting the main character must have felt when they found friends that accepted them and valued them for their differences and uniqueness. The teacher asked the students to self-reflect and write a shadow poem. Their reflections were personal, profound, neither divisive nor aimed at each other. My shadow is white, An underestimated thing, one student wrote. When mixed with colors, it can do amazing things, but left by itself, it's kind of bland. Another wrote, my shadow is purple, and now I do know that everyone's different. And not to be, woe. when my heart glows and tells me to see it's fine to be me. That was how it was originally spun. That's how the Southern Poverty Law Center spun it back in the middle of June and most of the national media covered it that way. But now we actually have the investigators report. It turns out students were forced to use they, them pronouns and they were supposed to be during it was supposed to be in math when she decided to do this. And a lot of the students were not comfortable With the book being read or being forced to use they, them pronouns, she refuses to acknowledge what the book is actually about. And it turns out last year, during the middle of the gubernatorial campaign, she was getting the kids to read a book about Stacey Abrams or by Stacey Abrams. Notice how the left was able to spin this whole story and make the teacher the victim here. But now we have the actual report of the investigators out. It's pretty contradictory pretty contradictory. Shows you just how much the left is able to get the sympathy of the media to tell a story like how many people really believe the law in Florida was called the don't say gay law when it really wasn't. At least the local media dug in and the local media realized what the truth was. And there will be a hearing next month. We don't know how it'll turn out. But I just got to say, you got a fifth grade teacher who's reading a book on the gender binary to kids refuses to even acknowledge that's what it's about, claims it's just about inclusion, disagrees with the students who said it was during math time. She says, no, it wasn't. Made them use they, them pronouns, and this comes on the heels of them reading a book by Stacey Abrams last year. Progressive teachers are undermining people's trust in the public school system and I appreciate that because it makes the argument for school choice so much more powerful and in Georgia you state legislators should be pushing school choice so parents can opt out of these school systems altogether instead of having their children be indoctrinated by teachers like this welcome it's Eric Erickson here across the nation the phone number 877-973-7425 I gotta play for you all this audio I meant to play it yesterday didn't get to it. Um, it it's got a little bit of music sound effect in it, but it is just the perfect comeuppance of John Kerry and his private plane, and he tries to deny it, uh, but he gets caught by Republicans. Listen to this. So uh, I just don't agree with your facts, which began with the presentation of one of the most outrageously persistent lies that I hear, which is this private jet. We don't own a private jet, I don't own a private jet, I personally have never owned a private jet, and obviously it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. Just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. A few moments later. You uh, just testified under oath that you never owned a private jet. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter into the record uh, article here from February 15th of 2023 the John Kerry family private jet was sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, do you stand by that testimony Not that objective. you've never I, owned or I f- family I by your family? Personally, yes, my wife owned a plane. This is a, now a headline John Kerry's. Family private jet emitted over 300 metric tons of carbon since Joe Biden took office. You know, John Kerry went over to China this week to try to have uh, climate change conversations with Xi Jinping and got nowhere. But he has said in a statement the meeting was a success because they had a long discussion. But he got nothing out of it. These people are just willfully malicious, willfully malicious about this stuff. John Kerry, we have seen him getting on and off his family private jet. They only sold it so that he couldn't get attacked for flying on a private plane, but he's still flying private planes. You know, there are these companies out there. I would love to have the money to use one. Um, it, you can you can call them up and say, hey, put me on a private plane. They, they put you on a private plane. I there, There's a company here in Georgia called Priority Jet, uh, and one day I hope to be able to use them where you could call them, and if you need a charter a private plane, they put you on it or they manage one. Uh, there's a huge international company called NetJets. It's owned by Warren Buffett that a lot of rich people use where you pay money and buy a percentage ownership in a plane, and they fly you around the world, and John Kerry's using stuff like that. I just want to use Priority Jet. I don't need Net Jets. Priority Jet's awesome. Um, one day, if I get the money, but he does it all the time. It's his lifestyle. These rich elite people who care about global warming really don't. They don't want to give up their private planes. Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I don't think it's a coincidence after mentioning Net Jets <laughs> and Priority. Jet. I got an email from a Magellan Jets company. <laughs> One day, one day. Y'all, yeah, anyway, we'll move on. So I'm reading this Wall Street Journal review of the Barbie movie. This is Kyle Smith. He writes, Try to imagine the Super Mario Brothers movie as written by someone who not only hated Mario and Luigi, but blamed them for highway fatalities, climate change, and guerrilla abuse while tossing in some Proust references. Wow. The film is peppered with film nerd allusions to 2001 A Space Odyssey, Being There, The Shining, The Matrix, uh, likely to sail over the heads of those born in the 21st century there to see the movie. As bubbly as the film appears, its script is like a grumpier-than-average woman's study seminar. At one point, nearing the climax... Barbie stops cold so a Mattel doll designer with depressive inclinations can deliver a long monologue about how miserable it is to be a female. For instance, she feels pressured to have lots of money, but also pressured to not appear to seek it. Hearing characters issue denunciations such as, you fascist, while Barbie muses that the fate of women is either you're brainwashed or you're weird and ugly, there is no in-between, is like going to the cotton candy factory to find it producing lead pipes. Don't we go to a movie like Barbie to escape the harumping tone of most aggrieved Twitter users? (laughs) Those who have no particular reason to think women are powerless in American society will be put off by the script's many broadsides. Women hate women and men hate women. It's the one thing we can all agree on, we are told by an adolescent presented as attuned to the damage Barbie dolls supposedly do to girl psyches. Is misogyny actually universally shared though? Ms. Gerwig and Mr. Baumbach, the writers, try to sell the audience on a tired madmen conception of reality where men in suits beckon and timid women simply do whatever they're told. One guide to the supposedly bitter reality underlying the Mattel dolls is Weird Barbie, played by Kate McKinnon as a deliberately uglified version with chopped-up hair and punk clothes. Her character's name could have served as the title of the movie, which is bound to puzzle moviegoers who thought they were buying a ticket to see the fun Barbie. Wow. My gosh. Oh, not good reviews. I'll tell you what's getting great reviews though. Uh the the Oppenheimer movie. I want to go see the Oppenheimer movie. It comes out Friday. Barbie and Oppenheimer both come out Friday. And I am I'm intrigued by the Oppenheimer movie more so because it's a Christopher Nolan movie than because it's about the father of the atomic bomb. I will go see it at some point. I'm supposed to be in Vegas over the weekend. I don't think I'm going to go see it in Vegas, though. We'll see. All right. I I, I gotta I want to spend a little more time on the no-label stuff because there's a larger issue here. Progressives in America are melting down over no-labels. Now, I, I mentioned last week there is a pervasive mythology in America. In fact, somebody told me Harold Ford on TV on, on Fox did it the other day that um, in 1992, H. Ross Perot caused Bill Clinton to get elected. If you're a Bushy, if you're a Republican, you will go to your grave probably believing that H. Ross Perot cost George H. W. Bush his election in 1992. It is taken as true, even though it's not true. Prior to H. Ross Perot entering... Uh, the election, you had uh, Bill Clinton outpolling George H. W. Bush pretty significantly. Uh, the American Spectator, not exactly a liberal propaganda outlet, had a piece in 2015. Just because a political maxim has been repeated as nauseum for more than 20 years doesn't make it so. Contrary to the two-decade-old insistence of the Bushies. Uh, GOP uber-lobbyist Haley Barber on CNN's State of the Union being the latest example, H. Ross Perot did not cost George H.W. his 1992 reelection. Rather, Perot's campaign saved George H.W. Bush from an ignominious, and humiliating defeat, a defeat that likely would have rivaled Franklin Roosevelt's 1932 drubbing of Herbert Hoover. Just consider. On November 3rd, 1992, Bill Clinton defeated George H.W. Bush and Ross Perot for the presidency by a margin of 43, 37, and 19. Ever since that loss to Bill Clinton, it's been standard operating procedure for Bush supporters everywhere to blame the Ross on Perot's independent run and the 19% of the electorate he won in November. A majority of those voters would probably have gone Republican in a two-way race, insisted Dan Quayle in... Uh, 2010 in a Washington Post piece. Barber replayed the canard on State of the Union on CNN, insisting that uh, an independent run by Donald Trump, but the big question for me is, most importantly, would Donald Trump say to a Republican audience, I will not run as a third-party candidate? This is before he decided to run as a Republican. Ross Perot's campaign was not the cause of the malady that affected the 92 Bush quail campaign. It was a symptom. Perot didn't even appear on Larry King's CNN show declaring he would consider running until February 20th, two days after Pat Buchanan had scared the bejeebers out of the Bush operation by holding Bush to 53% of the New Hampshire primary. The polling data at the time doesn't support the contention Perot's 19% came out of Bush's hide. In fact, it shows the opposite. In the 1990s, Political polling was considered fairly reliable, and the 1992 Battleground survey, conducted and analyzed on a bipartisan basis, showed that on September 30th, the last day before Ross Perot re entered the race after having stepped out of it for a time, Clinton led Bush 49 38, Ross Perot taking six points. A day later, the day Perot re entered the race, Clinton's lead sank nine points 47 38. Perot nudged up seven points. 30 days later, on November 1st, the last day the survey was collected, Clinton's lead had shrunk to four points, 40 to 36 over Bush, Perot polling at 19%, which is where he actually wound up. So Clinton's support dropped 49 to 40. Bush's support dropped 38 to 36. Perot went to 19%. More importantly, the exit polling showed, of the voters who actually voted, they would have split evenly to a slight edge for Clinton, with a significant portion not showing up. It is a continuous mythology by Republicans, and it has spread to the larger world as they freak out about no labels on the left. Look at Ross Perot. I realize I am a lonely man on a on an island on this point, but for those of you who believe Ross Perot cost George H.W. Bush the 1992 election, you really are wrong and are holding on to a mythology. You might as well believe in Zeus. None of the data supports it. The polling in a two-way race showed Clinton winning. The polling in the three-way race showed Clinton winning, and the exit polling, highly reliable in the 1990s because they were actual interviews with actual people actually voting, showed that Ross Perot did not cost George H.W. Bush the election. But I bring this up again, one, to remind you people that you're wrong and I'm right, but also to point out that the left has now embraced this idea and picked up this mythology because they are freaked out about no labels costing Uh, Joe Biden, a potential presidency if Donald Trump runs. They are at existential crisis over this. And the bottom line here is it's like the DeSantis people. So there's a poll out of New Hampshire. The polling out of New Hampshire shows DeSantis has risen a point since the last time the poll was taken. But Donald Trump has fallen five points. So DeSantis is in the 20s. Donald Trump is at 37%. And everybody else is in single digits. And there's this existentialism there of, oh my gosh, if all these people would just drop out, Ron DeSantis would consolidate the field and he would win New Hampshire. All these people need to drop out for a little old Ron DeSantis. No, Ron DeSantis needs to give people a reason to vote for him. The idea that everybody else needs to, to drop out. You know, if frogs had wings, they wouldn't hit their butts every time they jumped. In woulda, shoulda, coulda world, yes, if all these people drop out, it helps the Santas. But we're not in would-a, should have, could have world. We're in the reality. We're in a reality-based atmosphere here. And in the real world, voters have choices. It's called a democracy. And all of the people on the left who bellyache about democracy and wanting more civic participation are suddenly really butthurt at the idea that we may have a third-party challenger for which more people in our democracy might get it excited about because they don't really care about democracy. And they sure as heck don't care about voters. They care about winning. They care about getting... Joe Biden reelected. The whole reason we have this new labels phenomenon right now is because a majority of Americans think the Republicans and the Democrats both suck and they're not wrong. Voters are begging Republicans and Democrats like to find someone other than someone named Trump or Biden. And the Republicans and the Democrats very pigheadedly all seem destined towards embracing a Trump and a Biden. And all No Labels is doing is filling the void. They're answering the market. This this is free market at work. They're raising up money, and they're raising up candidates to put on a third-party challenge. And suddenly it's, oh, my gosh, H. Ross Perot, he could cost Joe Biden just like Perot cost— per- No! You know who's going to cost Joe Biden an election? Joe Biden! Just like in 1992, George H. W. Bush cost himself the election— he could have mitigated, he could have managed, but yeah, you know, uh, the, this this American Spectator piece has a point. You know, when Pat Buchanan ran and gave George Bush a run for his money, kept him to 53% in New Hampshire, that was a big signal. Voters are furious. Same thing here. You got Robert Kennedy getting 20% of the Democratic primary right now. That should be a really big signal to Joe Biden that he's got problems, and Joe Biden could shake things up. In the Republican primary, Ron DeSantis could have gotten in earlier, had a big fundraising show, and probably kept people out of the race. But he didn't, and 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 other people started getting in, and other people started playing in the race, and then he did get in, and he didn't have a meaningful impact on Donald Trump's polling, and other people said, well, maybe it's me, and I'll get in, and Doug Burgum got in. And you know the shameful, crazy, awful thing here is that Doug Burgum is paying people $20 gift cards if they give him a dollar, And that's probably going to get him on a debate stage. And poor old Mike Pence, former vice president, intellectual leader of the conservative movement, congressman from Indiana, and governor of Indiana, he can't—he hadn't yet gotten to the threshold to get on the debate stage. But that's on Mike Pence. I I, just—you know, look, I've fallen into this trap in the past myself, full disclosure. But at some point, you got to realize voters are unhappy— They think Trump and Biden both suck. They want alternatives. No labels is giving them an alternative. They're not the bad guy here. The bad guys are the people of the Democratic Party who see the polling, who realize the voters do not want Joe Biden. And they're like, you know what? You're going to take Joe Biden, and you're going to like it. And you're going to love Joe Biden. And you better take what we give you or else. Voters are saying no whether it's the Republicans complaining about a crowded field or it's the Democrats, you can you go can vote for Joe Biden. Persuade people not to vote third party. Persuade them to vote for Joe Biden. Persuade them that a vote for loaned labels is a vote for Donald Trump. Do whatever you want to do. But the idea that we should shut them out, shut them down, shun them, that's on you people for putting Joe Biden up as a nominee. You think this is bad for Joe Biden? The American people think Joe Biden is bad for America. They want something else. They're clamoring for an alternative. No labels is is filling that void there. You should learn a lesson from it of what to do and not to do and how to do it as opposed to just forcing Trump and Biden on people. People are starting to react viscerally to the parties. And for the Democrats to trot out the Ross Perot stuff, and for so many people to believe it, you're believing a mythology. You might as well believe that Apollo is riding the sun across the sky. If you believe Ross Perot cost George W. Bush the election, George H. W. Bush the election. There is literally no data on it. In fact, all of the data shows otherwise, but people want to believe it because people want to be aggrieved. How dare a third party challenge little old Joe Biden? Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877 973 7425 Uh text the word Data, D-A-T-A. Text the word DATA to 33777. Get my interview with with Senator Tommy Tuberville. I, I, I got this email from a listener who's a veteran. Let me read this to you. I was listening to the show earlier and just had to write to express my frustration as a veteran. To your point, and DeSantis in the interview with Jake Tapper, there is no bereavement leave. As of 2020, when I retired from the military, there was also no in vitro fertilization coverage, no cosmetic surgery, no vasectomy reversals, no dental implant replacements, even for an injured tooth root canal that occurred on active duty, etc. But for a male transitioning, they get all the hormones, all the breast augmentation, all the treatments they need. Thank you for bringing up these points. I hope you continue to do so and encourage the wide field of Republicans to stick with this issue. The fact we have to give up our rights as individuals is wearing on Americans, and I'm hoping we can weather the storm a little longer. That's just crazy. You know, meanwhile, Hugh Hewitt, who, look, I, I, I know and like Hugh, but this is just disappointing to me. Uh, his He's got a column out now in the Washington Post, Enough Senator Tuberville, it isn't pro-life to damage military lives. The story of every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is unique just as the story of every civilian American is unique, but there's a crucial difference. When men and women enlist in the U.S. military, they voluntarily put themselves under the authority of everyone in their chain of command. They depend on that chain of command for their lives. He's blasting Tuberville for the hold and says, Tuberville should immediately stop holding the military chain of command hostage. Nonsense. This is the right fight. Why aren't you calling on Joe Biden, Hugh? Call on Joe Biden to stop this abortion travel nonsense. Why go after the Republican who's standing for life instead of the Democrats who are trying to push an abortion agenda? I am told behind the scenes that uh, some of the Senate Republican leaders are beginning to bristle about Tuberville's hold. They think it's going to hurt them. Well, they should be standing up with him and defending it instead of cowering in the shadows. Turnbull's doing it right. The military does not need to be a place for progressive social experimentation. Listen, this administration, this administration claims a lot of crazy things. The Biden administration vehemently believes and argues that our military personnel need DEI training to be the best of the best. To equip them for the fights of the 21st century, our military needs diversity training. They need drag queen story hour, and they need to be able to travel for abortions. That's what the Biden administration argues. And very curiously, they're not sending drag queens and abortionists And Ibram Kendi and Nicole Hannah-Jones to Ukraine to help them become the best fighting force to fight the Russians, which probably gives away the game. They want to use our military for social experimentation. They don't care about fighting bad guys. They care about fighting for progressive values. If DEI expertise is necessary for a 21st century fighting force, they should be funding them in Ukraine, and they're not. If drag queen story hour is necessary, they should be airdropping drag queens into Ukraine, and they're not doing that either because they know it's all a lot of hooey. They're just trying to push progressive values on our military. Good for Senator Tuberville for sticking up for what's right, and shame on the Republicans in Congress for not having his back on this and leaving it to editorialists, the Washington Post, to attack Tuberville for just doing the right thing